We'll start off our scripture reading today uh, for our text, kind of set up our time together as we worship in song together. Uh, so if you don't mind, would you please stand? Have respect for God's word. The reading comes from Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage at Bethany, at the mount that is called the Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away sent went away and found it just as he had told them and as they were untying the colt its owner said to them why are you untying the colt and they said the Lord has need of it and they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt they set Jesus on it and as he rode along they spread their cloaks on the road as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So thankful for your presence here tonight, but I'm very thankful for God's presence here tonight. In fact, after finishing that song, I feel like we can just leave. But it is good. You know, I remember my, there are a few things I remember about first time I experienced things in church and you know first time I saw the Holy Spirit move in a powerful way one of those ways that makes you really nervous you know and maybe the first time I saw someone healed I don't know if I've ever experienced you know the, from the pulpit someone saying there's a group of people from our church going axe throwing I don't know if I've experienced that one there's a lot of glorious things, but wow, that's great. Hope y'all have fun. <laughs> you know, there's a universal desire that we all have, and sometimes that desire is, just seems elusive to us. We all want it, but it's almost like trying to put together a rope of sand, to use Whitfield's phrase. Money can't buy this thing that we want. The, the most beautiful paintings on the planet can't give it to us. The splendor of a particular location or a wonderful building or structure like a cathedral can't give it to us. We do try to put ourselves in certain locations in order to get this, but that doesn't work. We try to put ourselves in particular relationships uh, to obtain this, but that really doesn't work. 
but yet we, we live with this longing. And I think the longing is, is good and right and should be sought after. We just seek after it in all the wrong places. But the desire is the desire for peace. The desire for peace. We, we do a lot of things in life to try to manufacture and bring peace into us. It just, but it just doesn't seem to last. We try to put ourselves in front of things that look peaceful or in peaceful surroundings. And while all those things can be very important, it, it just seems we find ourselves on this wild goose chase trying to get peace on the inside. And yet, we just never can quite obtain it. The story that we read uh, just earlier at the beginning of the service, what we've been singing about uh, this evening, peace is really the core thread that runs through it, both tonight and for Sunday as well. So if you have a Bible and want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke 19 again. We're going to start in verse 28. Jesus is leaving Zacchaeus' house. Not only has this miracle taken place with this encounter with Zacchaeus, and now Jesus has pronounced salvation on Zacchaeus and his house. It, Jesus also teaches the people who are there, who are listening and watching this miracle take place before them. And he's clarifying things, as I said on Sunday. And then the text says, And when he had said these things, teaching the people at Zacchaeus' house, he went on ahead, going up to, and the city is mentioned again, Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem, and every verse we read, he's getting one step closer. Whenever you think about cities, though, you know, cities tend to be nicknamed, right? We normally give some kind of descriptive word or phrase based off of, most of the time, some historical connection. But we give cities kind of a name or a slogan. And you know some of the more famous ones like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, yes, you know, or Detroit, the motor city. And there are many that have that, and a lot of them do. Well, Jerusalem also has a name as well, and there's a meaning behind the word Jerusalem. And again, I don't think this is by accident. But Jerusalem is known as, and what Jerusalem means in one sense is the foundation of peace. The foundation of peace. And now there's a lot that goes on in that name Jerusalem. We can break that down at another point. But the point I simply want to make now is that Jesus is making his journey to the city that is called the foundation of peace. And the symbolism, again, I do not believe is by accident. He's going to Jerusalem where in order to do a new work, a new work of peace for the world, not just in the world. He's going to this place called the Foundation of Peace to do this new work of peace for the world. He's going to the Foundation of Peace in order to be the cornerstone of that foundation. This goes all the way back to the prophecies that we see in Isaiah. In Isaiah 28, verses 16 and 17, God speaks and he says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one, he says, who trusts will never be dismayed. 
God through Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus ever arrived on the scene is telling the people over and over, and he does it in several different places, he's telling the people that there is one who is coming. There's an addition to the foundation that needs to be in place. There is a cornerstone that is going to come. Peter picks this up in 1 Peter. We see this language also uh, in Paul's writing as well. But Isaiah is saying that the cornerstone is coming, that that last piece that needs to be in place for something to be established is on its way. And those who trust in him, those who trust in this cornerstone, this tested stone that's going to be put in place, Isaiah says they will never be dismayed. Interesting word, dismayed. It means to be hurried, to be frantic. The word dismayed means in some cases, or in some ways, everything that's opposite of peace. But when you do trust, when you trust in the cornerstone, the foundation of peace, that is the cornerstone for the foundation of peace, when you trust in Him, this is the result. Peace is then given. The kind of peace, though, that it's talking about is what we see is in in establishing himself as the cornerstone of the foundation. What Jesus is doing is he's providing us stability. Stability. The peace that we get from Jesus being the cornerstone in that image being used is the peace that comes from knowing that we are stable. We were able to stand on solid ground. That's why there are many images like that used throughout the Psalms and other places. That whenever Jesus is in his proper place as the cornerstone of the foundation of peace, he provides stability for us and in our life. It is the stability of the Lord that causes peace then to rule when the powerful emotions and even elements are raging in us and even against us. We know that the world can be shaking all around us, but we do not have to shake because we know our foundation is sure. We know that our foundation is true. While everything else can shake, When we are standing in that stable place upon him, we do not shake. I remember several years ago going, there was a, when we lived in Madison, there was an RV camper park down the road and we would go over and uh, Eddie Ray loved to go look at the campers. And one day we found one that he particularly liked. It was red. I'm not fond of the color red, but that's another story. And, uh, but, and it was one of these, you know, outdoor campers where, you know, I mean, it looks like it was just set to go through Montana or Colorado just as it was. Well, Eddie Ray runs up. He was much smaller at that time. He jumps right through the door and he's walking around in there and enjoying that. And so I decided to step in and see the camper as well. Well, not all the campers are properly secured. And so whenever I stepped in, my weight took the back of that camper down and he kind of shot back toward me. And uh, I was thinking about that this week because he wanted to go see campers again. Um, But also just thinking about the fact that stability really matters in life. And the problem is when the stability is not there. When things are not in their proper place, the smallest thing can disrupt everything. Just my one foot on the back of a camper totally disrupted everything, especially my child's life at that moment. 
But we have to remember that the foundation that we have been given, that we get to stand on, is, is not faulty and is not wobbly. That Jesus is the one who is the cornerstone for the foundation of peace. And he's the one that brings that stability to us. He is the rock on which we stand, the rock that cannot be shaken. Isaiah, again, uses this kind of language. Isaiah 33, verse 6. He will be the firm foundation for our entire lives. This includes the totality of who we are. Sometimes we trust God to be the foundation for our eternal salvation, but we don't trust Him with our emotions in the moment. Sometimes we trust God with the things of heaven, and we say one day we'll get there, but we don't trust Him with our mental state in the moment. But 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that the foundation that has already been laid is Jesus Christ Himself. That in Jesus, the work that this foundation needed, all the stability that we needed provided to us, has been accomplished in Him. And so this idea of living a stable life, again, something we all want because we want peace, the peace that comes from the stability, it is all found in Him. But He does not just give us stability. This passage that we're looking at goes on, and he says that something else is given. And this one is not as obvious. But this idea of Jesus coming into Jerusalem as a king means that we have a patronage of peace. Verse 29 says this. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called the Olivet, he sent two disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. Right here, Jesus is acquiring, if you will, an unridden colt. Now, the presence of this unridden animal communicates to us, again, that Jesus is doing a new thing. He's doing something very unique in human history in this act, and that's part of the re- uh, why Um, this image is used in here, going back to Zechariah chapter 9. And notice I use this word. There's a patron, a patron of peace. A patron is someone who has the power to control appointments to offices or the right to give privileges away. Think about that. A patron is someone who has the power to control appointments to offices or the right to give privileges away. The power to appoint, the right to grant privileges. You see, as king, Jesus has the power to appoint not only people to certain places. He does that. We call it our calling in life, right? But Jesus also, he can appoint the presence of, and the atmosphere, and even the reception of certain privileges. Whenever we think about Jesus being king, we get the part. He tells the servants, you go here, you do this, you do that. But I think more is going on here because the bestowing power of the king is greater. You see, it's the king's prerogative to give you the privilege 
of His grace. It's up to the king to give you the privilege of His mercy. It's up to the king to give you the privilege of His joy. And it's up to the king to give you the privilege of His peace. He not only can put us in peaceful situations, He can do the deep work of ordering heavenly peace be instilled in us. This means the king can order peace to come upon you and your life, even in those moments when it seems like peace does not make sense. You see, Jesus' reign as king is much deeper than sometimes we acknowledge or give him credit for. He can speak words that don't just move things around like chess pieces on a board. He can speak words to our very soul that affect our lives in beautiful and powerful ways if, if we let him. The prophecy of Zechariah 9.9 of the king coming into Jerusalem on an animal represents that peace. We all know that kings would come in and if they're on a war horse that's been tested over and over in battle, that they mean for war. They're there and they're prepared for their battle. And we know that if a king would come riding on a donkey, that it meant peace. Jesus comes on a colt, one that's never even been sat on before, representing this new thing that he's doing. He's bringing a new kind of peace to the world. It's not a peace from the outside in. It's not a peace that you have to go try and find. It's not a peace that you can obtain from anything that is around you, no matter how beautiful the setting. But it's an eternal heavenly peace that he imparts to his people. And Jesus has the power to order that impartation into our lives. That's a whole different ballgame than trying to get some peace out there somewhere and then bring it into us. The king can just give the order and peace is imparted. And that's just how powerful he is. And if he places his spirit in us, the spirit that produces peace, it's as if the king gives the order to the spirit that's already alive and well in us and peace begins to permeate throughout our lives. That's why it surpasses all understanding. It does not make sense to the human mind. But when the Holy Spirit resides in you, the King gives the order, the Holy Spirit executes that order, and peace courses through your veins. And you have those moments where you're like, there is no way I should be peaceful right now. But we just say, you know, God is good and He's doing His work. He is doing His work. He's doing His work as the King, ordering peace. And so that's why sometimes we just need to pray. We say, God, you know, I don't have any peace. I can't get it on my own. I can't manufacture it on my own. And we just say, God, would you order it in my life? Would you give the command so that I may experience the fullness of that command? We see the foundation of peace here going into Jerusalem, the city. We see the patron of peace. We see the one who has the power to give it. The king coming in, riding on a donkey, never been ridden before. And then we see a result. We see the rule and reign of peace. We get this interesting uh, explanation from Jesus in verses 31 through 34. Jesus says, hey guys, when I send you into the city to steal the animal, he says, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying it, 
stealing the animal, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? Of course, that's a natural question, right? And they said, the Lord has need of it. I hope this works. And they brought it to Jesus. That's all it says. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. This is a weird scenario, right? Jesus just sends two of his disciples into a village. It's not even named. You go in there and you just, you'll see the animal, just steal the animal. <laughs> Who does this? <laughs> the disciples are simply walking into this village to take this expensive, brand new, unridden colt at Jesus' command. And then when the owner comes up, they're simply supposed to reply, the Lord has need of it. And somehow this is supposed to work. And the answer is, it did work. And we're left scratching our head going, why did that work? You know? I mean, I saw my brother try this one time. It didn't work. It didn't work. He was also four and stealing chocolate. But anyway, the Lord has need of it. What a great excuse. But notice this. Notice when peace rules and reigns. There's a sense among the people that the king's will, even if that will does not make sense, that the king's will is the best thing for everyone involved in every situation. When peace is ruling and reigning, this is a picture of peace in many ways. When peace is ruling and reigning, even the oddest situations brings peace on two disciples sent to go steal a colt they executed and then brings peace on the owner of the colt so that the answer the Lord has need of it is sufficient totally sufficient everyone seems to go along with exactly what Jesus said to do. I think this story is in here to show us that when the directive will of God is anticipated and understood and lived out among people, then peace is what rules and reigns among people even when it does not make sense. There's something about this peace that surpasses all understanding. So in this situation, we see a peace on a situation that would normally end in a fight or a feud or people in court. Instead, just peace. Jesus' directive will is followed by everyone involved. Those who knew a little and those who did not know so much. And I think what we see is that Jesus is... Someone's got to eat. I think what we see is that Jesus is the foundation of peace. He is the patron of peace. But when his peace rules and reigns, this kind of peace affects every situation. And it gives us a whole new reality. This is a reality. This whole situation is a reality that you and I do not understand. We don't know what this kind of living out of God's directive will is like in this extreme example. But this is what it looks like. There is a trust among people. And there's a trust that as the Lord directs, the Lord has need of it. It's all I know. As the Lord directs, 
that it's followed. That's ultimately what heaven's like. Jesus says, go do this. You go do that. And everybody's like, yes, because this is his place. And Jesus is saying, I want to bring that kind of peace from heaven to earth. This is what the rule and reign of peace results in. We have the foundation of peace, this patron of peace. We get to this picture of the rule and reign of peace. And then, lastly, we get the praise of peace. Verse 36 and following, as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples were rejoicing, saying praise, they were praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. All the things that they had done, that Jesus had done, that they had witnessed, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace, there's the word, in heaven and glory in the highest, echoing back to Luke 2 at Jesus' birth. Now, some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they really didn't like it. They said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Pharisees tend to not like exuberant worship very much. And so, verse 40, he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And the simple point is that peace produces praise in our life. Peace. When God is ruling and reigning in our life and that peace is there, it produces praise. I think this passage points back to Psalm 122 in powerful ways. Psalm 122, read the whole psalm. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within you, O Jer your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed from Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of the David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This psalm calls us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. There are two meanings to that. Most of the time when we say, quote this psalm, say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we are actually saying out loud, pray for peace in or within Jerusalem. That's what we mean when we say it that way. But notice that it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yes, it means pray for peace within Jerusalem. Absolutely. Pray for peace in that holy city, God's city. But it also means pray for the peace of that city. Meaning to pray that we would have peace, the peace only provided by the foundation of our Savior. We're to pray that we would have the peace that the King who rules and reigns one day from Jerusalem has the power to order into our lives. We are to pray that we would have the peace that comes from the house of praise. Peace produces praise. What was in 
Jerusalem, the temple, the house of praise, the place where people would come in. The tribes would go up, the psalm says, verse 4. The tribes of the Lord, as it was decreed, to give thanks to the Lord our God. See, we're to pray for peace in Jerusalem, yes, but we're also to pray for the peace that comes from this place. Its foundation and cornerstone is Jesus. He is the patron who will rule from Jerusalem and speak his decrees out from that place. That's where his throne will be. That is the place where first his rule and reign of peace will come to flourishing. We will see the new Jerusalem coming out of the heavens down on earth. And we are to pray for that kind of peace in our life. The temple in all of its glory was the place of praise, of praising the name of the Lord. And it was because of this shalom, this peace, that we are to pray and say, Lord, would you do that in me? We're going to see it there, but would you do it in me? It's not... A coincidence that one of the most hostile cities on the planet, historically, has been Jerusalem. If it is the place of peace, the foundation of peace, the place where Jesus is going to rule from, of course Satan would attack it. Of course. But something's happening. And peace is flowing once again from the throne as the cornerstone is being put in his proper place. What Jesus is saying to us in the triumphal entry, as we see it here, is he's doing a new work and a new work of peace in Jerusalem, but also in the whole world. As Jesus is making his way in, the people are taking off their cloaks and throwing them down. I love that image. Because it reminds us that to have peace we not only need to take our burdens and pain to him, but to have peace, we need to take our trophies and success to him. You see, your cloak, as you wore it, would communicate to everybody how successful you've been in life. And as Jesus is going into Jerusalem, riding this unridden colt, it's interesting that the people are not just throwing their burdens down before him, but they're throwing down their trophies and success down before him. And and in this moment, they get it right. And give us a powerful image that says to us, if we're going to have peace, we have to do the same. If we're going to have peace, yes, we have to give him our burdens. If we're going to have peace, yes, we have to give him our pain. If we're going to have peace, we also have to give him our success. Because our success does not compare to what he accomplished. Being installed as the cornerstone, the king, the patron of peace. Our success does not compare to his rule and reign of peace in our lives and we certainly do not deserve the praise we're about to sing a song and a part of that song says and every burden will be lifted in his presence every trophy will be laid at his feet there is a name that reigns above all others jesus christ the king above all kings when that is truly our attitude i think when we are willing to lay down again even our successes before him Peace begins to reign in powerful and beautiful and even mysterious ways. And what a great way to live. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you because you are good. We thank you because your son has established himself as our king. And so, Lord, we ask even now that you would order peace 
into our life. We can't get it on our own. We can't manufacture it on our own. There's nothing on earth that can give it to us. But you can order it. So Lord, may we see you as king because you reign. And may the king reign in us. And the result, your peace. We pray this in the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ our Lord. And everybody said, Amen.